1: This is the Starfield Lorecast. Co-Commander Dave Chaffins Present. Co-Commander
0: Tom. codename
1: Robot. Present. We are calculating our
2: descent into your speaker state. Stand up. Explorers, welcome to the Starfield Lorecast. This is your host, Tom. I am co-pilots with Dave Chaffins, and today. Big news, Dave, we are digging into the lore. We're going to spoil stuff. We're going to talk about it's a lore cast. We're going to talk about the lore of Starfield. And there's been a lot of discussion about there. We've got some cool topics coming up. And I'm excited about today's. But Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Tom. You know, lore is in the name. It's part of it's part of the name of the Starship
1: lore cast that we're in. So it's about it's about dang time we get to some lore, you know what
2: I mean? Yeah, yeah. So um here, let's just dig into it because I have a question for our audience, and today's topic is going to revolve around a decision that a individual makes that he kind of makes for a lot of other people. The question is what would you sacrifice in order to travel to the stars? Because in today's society, that sounds like an impossibility. We do not have the technology to get faster than light or near light speed travel, Uh, generation ships, those kinds of things still seem far out there. And with the way things are going, we might need to hurry up on that process if, if the temperature of Earth keeps changing in ways that are bad. But we're not gonna get into those details. But the question is, What would you sacrifice to travel to the stars? And Dave, today's topic, we're talking about what happened to Earth. And anybody who's dug into Starfield at this point has probably visited Earth and noticed that it is a big dust ball. There's no longer much of a semblance at all of the planet that we are familiar with. So we thought we'd cover that with today's episode. Um, Dave, where does our story start? Where like, what's the what's the date that the origin of the, uh, I guess the beginning of the designs of this grav drive come into play because that ties directly into what happens to earth. Where where do we start the story?
1: I think, I think the best place and and they, when you're in the, the NASA building, um, you go on there in one of your main quests, you go into um, their kind of museum and you see that a lot of the history that's actually taken place um in our own timeline is correct and, and i was going through i was looking at some of the different um they have like a museum so they have like little voices that'll speak to you when you touch the display and uh the, the earliest excuse me the latest um thing that they have in there that coincides with us is the um i believe it's the curiosity rover uh, excuse me, Opportunity Rover, um, that went to Mars that um, died in 2018. It was like a whole social media blitz. I don't know if anybody remembers that. It had its own Twitter and it would send pictures and was running out of battery and it died in 2018. I say died, but it really just like it was just old stuff. Powered working. down. It's just powered, powered down. Powered down. Yeah. Right. So, so what we can assume is that. For space travel, for the most part, things are pretty much good until 2018. There's no, there's nothing about 2019 or 2020. I don't know how many like I don't know if it's like SpaceX is a part of this, but as far as like NASA goes, that's what they've done. Um, but it, it seems like that there's this unspoken time before we get into the idea of graph drives, where people have made spaceships that can travel to other planets. People are now going to the moon. People are going to the Mars. It's more It's more of like an expeditionary
2: kind of deal. Yeah, it's not necessarily um, govern, government sanctioned, but it may be individuals with the ability to afford their own ships exploring, kind of like the Age of Sail. If you had... The budget or you had somebody with deep pockets who could fund exploration. You could get a ship, you could man it and you could head off. You didn't have to have approval from a specific government entity to do that.
1: Right. Or you were a contractor for um, for the government entity that would send you off. Like, um, right. uh, You know, Columbus famously was for the Spanish, even though he was an Italian guy like that is something that's going on that really isn't talked about that much. Um, There's not a whole lot of information on pre-grav drive stuff outside of
2: a particular quest. So we have like Um, a century of just kind of vague, a vague sense of human beings get a little bit better at traveling around in our own solar system, visiting places like the moon and Mars. Uh, But not a whole lot happens until about 2137.
1: Right. Um, 2137. uh, I think it's Dr. Victor Aza and and I think I'm saying that correctly. I probably am not, but that's fine. You can correct me later. Uh, Doctor Aza, as I'll refer to him, um, brought back a secret sample to NASA under government confidentiality. This is the first thing that you kind of learn about when you enter the, the um, NASA launch pad um, in Cape Canaveral, Florida, which is now a desert like everywhere else. <laughs>
2: Yeah, everything's a desert. There's no water left. Everything's a desert. And and these all, these all tie together. Don't worry if you haven't played through this section or if you have and you're looking for a little bit more details as we go. This all ties together. So Victor Aza brings an artifact, something that we experience at the beginning of the game, the same type of alien artifact that we come into contact with. And they're trying to figure out what's going on with this, um, and it seems to have these odd gravitational effects, which we've seen, harmonic frequencies, and it uses a, a an interesting power source, or at least it's something about it relates to helium three. So right. we have all they, these questions, right? It's a puzzle that's posed to NASA, like what does this do, and how does that, how do, how does all this connect? They mention specifically in a lot of the logs not only the
1: gravitational effects, but the harmonic effects, which is interesting because whenever we discover an artifact in the game, there's kind of like a kind of kind of sound as you're getting closer to it. You can see like the particles floating in the air around it. um, And after you, you mine it out and and pull it out. Of course, you get sucked into that nice little cutscene where you're jumping between galaxies.
2: Right. Yeah. Universes. yeah. Yeah. Where it looks like you're seeing a universe. Come at you and all of that that stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. This the harmonies and frequencies and vibrations are common across sound waves, uh, electromagnetic frequency, magnetism. Uh, all of these things have something to do with each other. And this is like one of the deepest sections of our current scientific inquiry: is how do all those things work on massive scales, on quantum scales? All of this. So I would imagine, even a hundred years in the future, people are looking at this. Artifact and going, okay, well, what is this doing and how is it doing what it's doing? So they begin studying it.
1: Right. Um, the The interesting thing that they think that the artifact is, they think and, and discover that the artifact is nothing on their periodic table. Um, that th- it is just like a completely and totally alien metal that they have. That's why they're getting a lot of metallurgical science scientists in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the characters, um, I think Dr. Tatian, um, is a metallurgical science and is, is look metallurgical science means like I'm looking at rocks baby but really <laughs> fine detail rocks not like that's a metamorphic rock they're like right, really the elements
2: the, the elements right, and the, the compounds elements. that make up the actual materials many of which are metals like right, iron there's many different rock like
1: scientists that. there's like the big rock scientists there's the little rock scientists and there's the hard rock scientists and that's <laughs> why I am here today um, <laughs> so, so uh, go on go ahead Oh I, oh, I can would, I can chime it, in because so sure.
2: uh, so one of the things they do is they figure out if they if they pump in helium three, all of a sudden this material starts messing with gravity. It starts folding gravity around, meaning it reduces the distance between two things. It actually starts to bend space time which is another one of these crazy physics concepts that space and time can be folded and bent. And and in fact, all of us are experiencing that all of the time. The fact that we are on a planet and the planet has a gravitational well means that we are being pulled towards the planet because of gravity, but we're also our time, our sphere of time is being influenced by that gravity. Well, like one of the things they've discovered is if you put satellites further away from the planet and moving at different speeds, then time on that satellite will transpire differently than it will on the surface of the planet. And it has to do with the speeds and the amount of gravitational force being felt on both of those objects, which is crazy. So this idea that now they have an artifact that they don't know where it comes from that can fold Gravity, bend space-time, is crazy, but it only works initially with that material, which they can't identify
1: yeah so uh, eventually they have this they make a prototype of of kind of a graph drive they use this um, artifact they're able to, to bend been the helium and, and they're able to kind of like simulate what that is uh, but the big thing is they discovered that they can find this replacement material for it so they were never able to create this replacement material without having access to the artifact and kind of studying it and learning about it and using it as kind of like the um the blueprint for what that material could be. They never really discuss what exactly that material is that's right. replacing it's right. just like oh we made a replacement and that's how.
2: Yeah. And you know, in, in UFO circles uh the one that they think is going to do this if if you if you look into this a little bit is element 115 which is like Moscovium or something like that and it doesn't we haven't figured out a way to make it Uh, to form it in a way where it actually will not decay within just fractions of a second. Um, Mm. But they think that like that might be the source of power for things like bending space time or whatever. I don't know if there's any truth to that at all. But uh, but, yeah, we're not given the specific element. We don't know what that is. We know that they find a replacement element that can do similar things. And then we know that they test this out by sending a ship to Jupiter and it gets there in seconds and in the conversations that or in the, the the holotapes when you listen to it, you can talk about how they go, well it, it it seems like it worked, but it's gonna take what, thirty minutes for us to get the radio frequency back from Jupiter before we can confirm it for sure. Because the speed of light, those radio frequencies move at the speed of light, but it's going to take a lot longer for the light to travel back to Earth than it or for us to be able to see them on like a, a telescope than to be able to even just make the jump, which is right. mind blowing. It's so cool. Right. And, and and they were able to they were able to actually go to the
1: moon because they, they had. um they had looked up where to get a bunch of Helium-3. They were like, okay, we're using Helium-3 for this thing. That's what's kind of like the, the the energy source that's powering the replacement material for the artifact. And uh, in, in actual real life, the, the moon is filled with Helium-3, um, which is a specific element. And so they're able to go to the moon. They partner with, I think it's Nova Galactic is their partner um, in building the uh, ship with the first grav drive. And they successfully um, send it off to Jupiter where boys get stupider.
2: Right, so they do a lot of tests on the moon at this point They're using the moon as kind of this like forward base for being able to test the grav drives and do stuff like that But it turns out that all of these tests with these now grav drives is having an effect on The earth and specifically the magnetic field of the earth due to these fluctuations on the moon Um, and over time And they they soon discover that some of the other scientists look at the data and they go, oh, crap, the fluctuations in the magnetic field of the Earth are due to our experiments and our use of grav drives and launching them from the moon. This is creating this catastrophic effect, which will eventually reduce the magnetic fields in a way that it's going to destroy the planet. And the magnetic fields of the Earth are important because they help keep certain kinds of radiation off of the planet. They they're part of the whole ecosystem and how we maintain an atmosphere, how we have water and certain temperatures and those kinds of things on the planet. And so this becomes a big thing. And there's a big debate among the scientists about this.
1: Yeah, the Judith Tatien. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, Yes, I am um, uh Judith Tatian yes is uh one of the scientists that is the metallurgical scientist that Dr aza hires or not hires kind of like let's join the project and she's one of the first people to kind of like notice that this is hey th- there's something going on here um but this is like you kind of jump 10 years in in the level of um uh, like the records that they're keeping they they come kind of come back 10 years later and they're like yeah, we've stopped like experimenting with grab drives because it's successful now everybody's making grab drives so like as nasa what are we doing now well now we're looking at launching weather satellites that are kind of like measuring the phenomena of of the magnetic poles kind of like having some sort of disrupt disrupt, disruption um And that's kind of what NASA has almost like shifted to after they're like, well, we figured out space travel. So now we're just going to like focus on this like weird magnetic field situation that we may or may not have created.
2: Right. Right. And then they discover, oh, crap, we created it. There's some falling out between the relationships of the scientists and it looks like it's beyond repair. So at this point, this is like twenty one forty nine They're like, right, "Uh, there's really not a whole lot we can do here. We've got maybe half a century left before Earth is uninhabitable. What do we do about it? Um, And as you follow through the holotapes, you can see that Victor, Victor Aza, is at the center of all of this. And then some more information is revealed about him in 2160. Um, We find out that he was the head of a special task force with the mission to retrieve this weird gravitational anomaly from Mars. So he had an encounter with this anomaly. He was the guy who touched it, which means that he's the guy who had a vision when he touched it. Because we learn in the game, the first person to touch these artifacts has a vision. But he didn't just have a vision. That wasn't the only thing that happened. He lost. 12 days of time, almost two weeks, disappear, and we learn that he meets a version of himself from some other dimension, and we don't know if this is, uh, like, just some sort of break in dimensionality, or if this was one of the Starborn... Like visiting him in the situation, but in right. some way, some way those dimensions break down, maybe through touching the artifact or maybe when he touched the artifact, the starborn just happened to be there at the right time or planned right. it out somehow. Uh, but he meets himself and he learned some crazy stuff. <laughs> Dave, You want to cover this part, Dave? Yeah, the.
1: Um, the guy he meets effectively tells him that. Effectively tells him that here's how the grav drives work. Um they are a thing that you created. Yeah. Um, these are the, are, the these are the equations.
2: This is even the math. This is the math for how it works, that. right?
1: This is how you um, this is how you build it. Um, you test it on the moon that causes the earth to uh, destabilize and it causes magnetic degradation. Um, and he told them that all of this would lead to a civilized um planet excuse me a civilized uh, kind of like a colony on a planet a, a future a sim-
2: civilization on a distant planet yeah yes yeah
1: where um human like culture art lifestyle is evolving and shining brightly across all the galaxy
2: so he's basically paints for himself his alternate self paints for himself a picture of humanity among the stars thriving and doing amazing things and the path to get there. He basically gives him a map. Here's what grav drives are. Here's the equations to make them. And so it makes sense now, looking back, that he was able to take this artifact and lead a team towards figuring this stuff out because he kind of already understood what it did and, and where he was going with it. But he's also, he's also revealed in this moment that in doing this, it's going to destroy the Earth. So there was no ambiguity about this. There was no, well, maybe this is dangerous, so be careful. It was just flat up from the beginning. If you do this, this is the cost. But by his alternate version self, the cost is worth being able to get humanity out into the stars and this future civilization that will become. hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and so he, he learns all of this and keeps it to himself, except he does tell Dr. Tatian and Dr. Tatian is just like, she's confused as to why he know. How do you know that you can bend this around the artifact? How do you know? And all these equations, like, what are you, what are you trying to do here? And, um, he, Like pulls her aside. You can't tell in the logs. It doesn't specifically say, but it seems like he pulls her aside and he's like, hey, let me tell you something. I'm in an alternate version of myself when I touch this artifact back on, like gives her the whole spiel and she's like, okay, but like, sure, whatever. But then as she goes on, she's like, maybe that's true. But he leaves out the part about the magnetic fields, he's, right? He's very careful to not mention anything involving Earth being destroyed, um, anything about the side effects of it. He just says, Hey, I know all this. I know all this graphs and drive stuff because this guy told me and um, he, he wants us to do that. No tell of the other side effects or stuff.
2: Right. That. Right. And of course that comes to light later and he, he gets some flack about that, of course. Um, and then, how does it end?
1: Well, he it ends. He just commits suicide. That's that seems like you find his body. Um, I'm not sure how that works in terms of time, but as far as like Bethesda, you know, uh, storytelling within those uh, you know forgotten settlements, um, you you find the the body of him, and this is kind of like his last confession
2: before he dies. Yeah, or kills himself. Yeah. So it seems like he. I mean, if we go back to the question I raised at the beginning, the you know, what would you sacrifice to travel to the stars? It seems like he's not able to reconcile that cost psychologically, like the fact that he went against these people who he became friends and coworkers with, he had to lie to them or at least hide the truth from them. He actually lives through the events of seeing the earth decline and all of these people die because they can't fit enough people on enough ships to get them to other places and resettle fast enough. Uh, right. There's probably billions of people on the planet by this point. And depending on you, the way you look at like population estimates, we might hit some sort of critical peak somewhere in like the 10, 11 billion people on the planet. Or it might keep going up higher. Either way, that's a ton of people that did not make it into this future civilization. And he sacrificed the planet itself, all of the plants, all of the animals, everything in order to to reach this and somehow his alternate version of himself felt justified in that thought it was a good enough idea to share it with his other version of himself. But this version of him doesn't make it through it. He he seems to have internal conflict and ends up taking his own life.
1: Right. And, and the, um, the hunter and the emissary, um, kind of come out, after you're the character like the main character learns all of this stuff and they're like yeah don't you see what happened um and some of them are like oh that was a great sacrifice that needed to happen or this was pointless we lost our home because somebody made the decision to do this but the the thing that's interesting to me as far as like a lore perspective is they talk about this alternate Dr. Aza as being a starboard so that means in some other universe dr asa was able to get you know invent the grab drive and then start grab drive jump and get all the artifacts and then get to the unity
2: yeah so, so he, like, yeah he basically goes through the same quest line that you do his alternate version of himself he survives and then thrives well enough to go through the unity reset everything go to another universe and then initialize this which leaves a lot of questions was he the first to do it and so, like, did he invent graph stuff before he found an artifact? Probably not. The artifacts were probably already there. And we're left with all these questions about, well, who actually created the Unity? Who makes the Starborns spaceships? You know, all of that kind of stuff is still unanswered as far as I've seen. Um, so it, it makes you wonder about the whole order of operations, especially once now time and multiverse stuff is included is there actually a, a a beginning and an end to that cycle how does that work right and I, I mean this is the first like recorded history of
1: a, a starborn because this is all pre based off of you know when he was born like it seems like the connecting events are oh well he invents the grav drives they do the flight to jupiter it's all good but the they come up with the idea for the colony ships like that's the the kind of endpoint for him. But I mean, he goes on to live for several years. And that's why this is recorded several years after that. So there could be a, a thing where, okay, I'm going to fly to Alpha Centauri now. And since I've got my, you know, colony ship or whatever, like I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. So is he it's a good question of is he the first starborn in terms of that cycle of time? The first one to reach it within, you know, as our human calendar Um, Yeah, the the earliest starborn
2: in the standard progress of time, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yes. Maybe. Maybe he is. Maybe maybe not. Um, Yeah, it's there's a lot of these twists and turns in the way this plays out. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around it. So we're going to have to dig into more of that stuff in the future. But that's what happened to Earth and why when you go back to Earth there's not a whole lot there. There are some things there and we're going to go thank our patrons. But after the break, we're going to talk about the locations that you can visit. There's actually a list of them. There's more than I expected from just some of my own looking around. And then some other details about uh, some of what was actually going on here. So don't go anywhere. All right, here we are in the middle of the show. This is where we get to thank our patrons for helping to support us and make this a thing. We appreciate all of you. We especially appreciate our new patrons, uh, Annette B and Michael F. Welcome to the Patreon. Thank you for being here. And our Star Lords. If you sign up at the Star Lord tier, you get a shout out every week. That includes Commander Marcus Shepard and Worst Action Hero. Thank you for your support. And thank you to all 14 of our current patrons. Keeps, the number keeps on moving up. We really do appreciate it. Hope you are enjoying the ad free episodes uh, if you sign up at certain tiers then you get stickers every three months or t-shirts every three months custom design stuff that doesn't go up anywhere else you cannot get these stickers or t-shirts on the robots radio store the only way you can get them is on the patreon so uh, lots of fun designs and things for you to check out head over to patreon.com slash starfieldlor cast check that out also we've got some new reviews Dave this is exciting So just a reminder, if you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, even if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, if you have an Apple account, you can log in and leave a review. And that's actually very helpful because those reviews show up on other podcast services and things like that. A lot of people will pull that information. So this stuff is very helpful to us, and we appreciate you taking the time to leave a quick review. This one comes from Mighty Chewy in The Greatest of Britons. Who writes? Can't wait for deep dive into the lore. Great show, guys. Loving the guests. The quest of week is brilliant. Oh, the guests of the quest of week is. Br- Am I misreading this, or I don't know if that's type.
1: Quest of the week. The guest of the week. Guest everybody's. of the week.
2: Maybe that's sure. what they're saying. Uh, after work and kids are in bed, it's time for quest. You guys have shouted out. Keep smashing it. I think there's a typo thing happening there somewhere, but thank you for taking the time to leave five stars. Uh, that's fine. Whenever I type in
1: chafins in my phone, it always replaces the I with the O, so I'm like, Chafons. you know what I
2: mean? Yeah, for some reason, when I type thanks, I always end up putting a B where the N is, and then it doesn't autocorrect it. And I'm like, that's not Fabx. a word, phone. Fabx. Yeah, that's not a word. Uh, this Anyways. next one comes from... Uh, Renathon. I think that's how you pronounce it from the U.S. who writes, great podcast. I started listening a few weeks before Starfield came out to hype myself up for it. And this is just a good dynamic with great people. Thanks. Well, I'm so glad that you feel that way. That's awesome. And then one more from Leons and Castle 3 from the U.S. who writes, great show. Very tasteful way of easing into Starfield without spoilers at first. Can't wait for the deep dive into lore. Well, I hope you're enjoying it now that we're getting into the lore stuff and we've got a bunch of lore to cover. So we're we're going to be digging into this big pile of stuff for quite a while now so I hope you keep coming back but thank you oh, for yeah. everybody who supports the show thank you for taking the time to check out the patreon to leave a review to tell your friends any of that stuff it all helps we can put out content into the world but if it isn't for the people listening to the show helping us out in these kinds of ways nobody will ever hear it so You guys do a lot of that work, and we really do appreciate it. All right, Dave, let's move on. we got some more stuff to talk about. Here we go. (laughs) Drunkard in chat says, this show is brought to you by Chunks. We should do a fake Chunks commercial and put it in the show somewhere. I mean, I like that. I like the idea of some fake, you know, stuff like that yeah that'd like be fun i bet you could Spocky come up with Biden a galactic a fun little chunks jingle that would be great yeah um all right. So this leaves us with some questions. First of all, I do want to hear back from you. If you'd like to send us a message or jump on the Discord and you know, Robots Radio Discord, you can just search it. It's in the show notes, all that stuff. And let us know if you think that this was a sacrifice worth making, or if you see that being the kind of sacrifice that it would make sense for us to make at some point in our own timeline. What's what's it worth being able to get humanity out into the stars? Is that is that worth this much? and Can anybody make that decision? I think that's quite a moral dilemma. Um, So, you had some questions here, Dave. What's what's the first question you wanted to ask? Um, (laughs) the question I wanted to ask. We often,
1: you know, it's it's kind of like a a general discussion point. We often talk about, oh, if I am, you know, me in the future, what would you go back and tell your sixteen-year-old self? You know, like that's what you always come up with. But my question is, would you if you saw a version of yourself from the future that came back and told you something would you believe them would you act on that like what's the what's the moral implications from that like reverse perspective so like oh right. I'm 16 and be like we'll get through high school because it's going to be you know yeah but in that you probably regard, shouldn't date
2: like, that girl she's no good for you <laughs> like uh, right. do you follow if you're that? coming back
1: in time like do you, do you how do you how do you cope with that how do you deal with that do, right do you
2: believe that and you in know, in In this case, well, with Victor Aza, it's not even time travel. It's him from a different dimension. So it's not like there's a certain further distance to that. Right. Like it's one thing when you're 16 to see like your 40 year old self come back and go, hey, kid, I'm clearly your 40 year old self. Here's the stuff you need to do differently if you want to not end up like me. Right. Like that's got a certain amount of gravitas to it. But to see your alternate version self from another dimension come to you and say, Hey, your timeline is different from mine, but I got a lot of information that you don't have. This is gonna change your world, literally. <laughs> like, do you do you trust them? Uh I mean I don't
1: I don't know. <laughs> I, I really don't know. I I really don't know if if you know if you if you put yourself in that situation of you going back and and telling yourself something like that's pretty selfish of whoever's ahead of you to like go back and be like, Well, I was so wrong back then blah blah blah. Like you know, in, in the terms of life, that's pretty selfish of yourself to say, Oh, well, you know, I'm not capable of making decisions. Yeah. But is you know it I mean? is
2: it as selfish for a multi-dimensional version of you to do the same thing? I because think so. Because are you are you even the same person? Like you're you fulfill the same slot in like reality, right? Like this person has your same genetics. They probably have a lot of similarities as an alternate dimension. So things might be different, but if they look like you, they have the same genetics as you, then they at least have the same parental, you know, biological history. They've probably done similar things in their life up to that point. Although things might be different in significant ways, but in some ways, aren't they more akin to a twin than your actual self
1: I mean, that's a good question. Of like yeah, you know, they're more yeah, they're more like a biological twin of yourself because everybody makes different choices. Like that's right. the whole idea of the multiverse is like uh, the path you went right and and I went left, and so like meeting yourself back after that, it's going to be different. Um, you, you see that multiverse is literally like what every single superhero genre is doing right now. Right. But you see that in those. Those are, those are great examples of that kind of stuff.
2: Um, and sometimes they and end the, up very different people. I mean, look at look at the Loki series for example. You know, Loki's a villain. Loki. He's a villain all of a sudden he's a hero but now he's a villain again and like it depends on if he has some situation in his life that changes the trajectory and his attitude and the decisions that he makes right and i feel like right. that's true for all of us like we are all the sum of the total of the decisions that we've made and an alternate version of you has a different equation that has fed into their lives and who they are in that moment right
1: and, and, and that's kind of like the idea of of Doctor Asia, like is is coming back. For, excuse me. Is is multi is doing the multiverse travel thing to go talk to a different version of himself that knows that he will take that sacrifice. Like that's the thing. It's predetermined. He knows that if he tells him, he's going to want to do that because he knows kind of his motivating values and what's going on in his head, which then turns into oh. I've sacrificed all of these people to get this thing. From the multiverse person's perspective, it's like, well, I went through the unity. I'm starborn now. I'm going after these artifacts. I am progressing the world. But did that interfere with like what, act- what this universe's Dr. Asia wanted? Because obviously he's not happy with his decision. In the end, he, he kills himself. So he's not very happy with his decision that right, he's made. For right. he's clearly the a different person.
2: Like in that in that right. sense, he's clearly a different person. The other version of himself was able to make that decision and live through it, and thrived enough to become a starborn. But this version of him is clearly a different kind of person because he he doesn't. He has experiences that lead him to a much darker end. Um, so. Okay, so I think that's a, there's some good questions. I'd love to hear our audience's thoughts on these and and how they see all of that working. Because I don't think that there's a right answer. I think that there's just different perspectives and different reasoning for why you would make decisions. Right. Um,
1: but and we, we are it, assuming we are assuming that he is the starborn. Um, the only reason I assume that is because when you touch artifacts, you get visions of the unity. So the only way that you could see this guy in the unity is if he's gone through it. Which we there's a whole bunch of mumbo jumbo. Yeah. Of like, so it, again, the it's, an assumption.
2: It's, it's not, an assumption. it's not it's not 100 percent clear. It doesn't actually say it in any of the the text that you read or any of the, the things that you listen to. It, it doesn't specifically say that, but it, it's a strong assumption. Right. Um, so here, let's talk about something else. When it comes to the magnetic poles, I know that you did a little bit of research here about how that stuff works. Right. Is this a, the, is this the sort of thing that could actually happen? Like the magnetic poles I mean, get messed is a, this up. This is and, the sort of
1: thing that it seems like has happened. Like the magnetic poles have shifted before.
2: They have, I've heard um, that they it, flip. Sometimes they'll flip north and south. They'll actually jump and right. move. And
1: it's not it's not a hundred percent exact, but they'll actually jump. Um, and, and it's a. A normal sequence, but it kind of creates these weather patterns. People, there's no like real study that's been done, like that's like foolproof. There's like studies that have been done to be like, oh, let's investigate this, but there's nothing like this actually happened. Um, It's really just theories at this point that are supported by some information, but
2: um, yeah, we can see, for example, in the strata of rocks that the polarity of the atoms in the rocks shift directions at certain. Depths of strata which coincide to different parts of history think of it like um, uh, Rings in a tree like tree rings you cut down a tree you can see all the different rings You can tell how the tree has grown over time you can still see you can do that with sediment in the ground um, And you can tell that like the for example the iron in the rock Which is magnetized at a very very small scale will change directions based on when it was laid down and solidified Um so, like, that's very much a thing, but we don't have a history of the magnetosphere, as far as I know, disappearing completely, just going away.
1: Right. The um, the main thing that they they recognize is that sometimes there's an extinction event that happens around there, and people aren't sure what exactly it could be, but the running assumption is a solar wave that hits the earth so solar waves are constantly hitting earth well not earth itself but our atmosphere they're constantly like right now when you go out and look at the sunshine you're looking at like a solar wave right there you're just like get that solar energy (laughs) superman
2: but sometimes there's more of a burst like one of those big you've seen the pictures of like the things that shoot off the sun and if that's aimed at earth then we get more radiation than we normally would Right,
1: and so the, what the what the magnetosphere does is kind of and this is in super simple terms, not a scientist, not a doctor, not Doctor Asia, um, but it kind of like bends it around the Earth. Um, so it's like the energy yeah. comes out and it kind of like filters. So like like, like a like a
2: shield is, on a spaceship deflecting right. a laser. Yeah, and, that, and that's what
1: the atmosphere is. It's it's a shield to keep things out and keep things in. Like that's you know in basic in basic starship terms, that's what this giant studyable thing the atmosphere is. Um, So when those things are shifting if you think about a magnet if you kind of like turn it sideways like during that shift The solar waves could come right at you and they wouldn't filter very well
2: So the the, it's during that change that the there's higher amounts of radiation And then once the change and the flip actually happens? Then the magnetosphere acts a lot like it did before it just happens to be have have the opposite poles So north is no longer positive and south is no longer negative. They flip right Um, right interesting. So I mean, I guess that means it could happen. Like if the magnetosphere just disappears, then we get all this solar radiation. Then the temperatures gets messed up. Then there's too much radiation on the planet. A bunch of things die. I mean, heck, even with the way our Earth is right now, human beings, if you spend a certain amount of time in the sun, you need to have some sort of covering or sun protection or whatever, because it's its you just can't handle that much. And that's with an active magnetosphere. and right. Things protecting us. Um, so uh, that seems very possible. Now, here's one more question before we get to our list of locations. What about helium three? What do we know about helium three? Because this seems like part of the equation for this whole grav drive thing working, connecting with the artifact, all of that. So
1: so helium-3 is often what a lot of like science fiction and stuff uses, but helium-three is like a, a real thing. Um, but the the concentrations of it on Earth are very low. But right now, what we it seems like are using it for our like particle colliders, that kind of stuff, to like power it. It's kind of a a, a radioactive energy source. Um, but on the moon, there is legitimately an abundance of this stuff. It's in like absolutely everything, like all the minerals and stuff. So like feasibly, if you wanted to you know, build a, you know, a, nuclear reactor or something that has a lot of power on the moon, you would want to mine for um, helium three, that that would be the main source. Now, I'm, I'm not sure about the concentrations. I don't think that it's like a little crystal that forms, you know, that you go get your laser out and you pluck out it a few times. But <laughs> I, I think it's like densely kind of coated in some of the like the deep minerals or that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, it would have like to be very cold.
2: It would have to be very cold for it to be in solid form because uh, it's helium. Right. Um, also more specifically it's an isotope so it is it's actually unique among elements and isotopes in that it is the only one with more protons than neutrons so helium three in helium is two protons and one neutron in the in the nucleus which makes it particularly unique and then there's two electrons because the electrons and the protons usually match in a stable um isotope but uh That it seems to be unique in a very interesting way. Um, And, you know, it'd be really cool is to get a physicist on the show sometime and be like, hey, helium three energy source.
1: How does that work? I mean, uh, here's the thing. I've I've been I've said I'm not a scientist twice. What if I go get because here's the thing on on a previous podcast I did. It was about cryptozoology and I got a fake cryptozoology (laughs) degree. So maybe I need like an astrophysicist degree that I can go and pay like 20 bucks online. I get a certificate in
2: astrophysiology. Mm -hmm. I
1: think that's actually a great plan. So maybe follow back up with me in
2: a month and we'll see where we're at with that. You get a fake uh, doctorate somewhere. And then also you could become like a, I don't know, certified priest or preacher of some sort, and then you can marry people too.
1: I could do weddings and talk about atoms. Um, (laughs) On on the subject of of Helium 3, though, it's interesting because when you build an outpost in the game, like the actual Helium 3 that you get in the game... To do the cargo linking, you need a lot of helium three to um, do the shipping between your different outposts. And it makes me wonder because Todd Howard had talked about in interviews before where um, they were actually, there was a version of the game that they tested where um, you had to get your own fuel for the spaceship. And so like the fuel for the spaceship, that's obviously helium three. So like Mm -hmm. there is a version of starfield out there where you'd have to be constantly mining for helium three to just be able to fly things. And you'd probably need like to build an entire factory just to like get your ship enough to jump between all the places that you have to go, even for the main
2: quest or whatever. Right. Right. It's more of like a survival (laughs) style game than just an RPG. Um, right. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm glad they didn't do that. <laughs> Me too. So, um, yeah. So in this this second half of the show, is a lot of speculation around these things. Um, if they come back in the future, we'll, we'll fill you in with more information that we've learned. Um, here's a list of locations, though, that you can go visit on Earth. So some of you may have found some or all of these things. There are the Great Pyramids of Giza. They're still discoverable. The Empire State Building in New York City the Gateway Arch in St. Louis, which we saw in early artwork, the NASA Launch Tower, which we talked about, the Shard in London, another famous location, the US Bank Tower in Los Angeles. So we have some of these like key world cities, right? Like Giza in Egypt, New York City, uh, LA, London. In Shanghai, we have the Shanghai Tower, so a place in China. Uh, Hong Kong, the International Commerce Center, another big building. The Burj Khalifa in Dubai. And then finally, the Abeno, Abeno, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, Harukus uh, in Osaka, uh, Japan, which is another one of these large buildings. So a lot of these locations, there's still kind of like ruins for, but outside of that, there's very little that is recognizable as like actual land masses or mountains even, or coastlines because they aren't really there anymore. You know, that kind of stuff, Um, which makes sense. Like if they had spent a lot of time designing a full fledged earth, a like actual to scale earth where you could pick different locations and see variations on the way earth has changed over time that would take forever (laughs) so it makes sense that most of it's just dust ball with a few buildings here and there
1: and normally you can get those buildings by reading books um, that that you find out in the world It's like you get a point of interest that's on there but you can also do it by like pinpointing it like if you know exactly where to go and that's how i got back to um the nasa place in new game plus because um, they don't you can't you don't have the marker for a new game plus to get back to the NASA thing to do the research for this episode I had to go online and figure out exactly where and and it was very like I marked a few different places on Florida I was up and down Florida Tom let me tell you the whole thing <laughs> you, of this episode, you visited
2: my house or what would have been my house you visited right, Disney I, World yeah, and, I, it was yeah.
1: a little rock in the desert Um, th- but you can actually go to the like you can pinpoint and go to those places and they are there but they are so your landing zone is so small that like you really need to like
2: land right on it hit the spot directly that's cool that's cool well this is a fun first episode and uh -hmm. if we didn't cover something today and you're like well actually it's not necessarily because we don't know or we didn't make a point to cover it and we didn't think it made sense with the episode Chances are we're gonna cover it in a future episode. So there are some of the things that came up that we were more vague about. There are some of the things that we just didn't touch on yet. Don't worry, we're gonna get there. I know how this stuff goes. I've done a lot of lore podcasts and a lot of people are like, well, what about this? You didn't bring this up we'll get there. Don't worry. It's coming. Uh, and if you have some suggestions for things that you'd like to hear us talk about sooner rather than later, chime in on the discord, let us know what topics you're interested in, what questions you have, all of that stuff. We'd love to hear it, but uh, Dave, we got to wrap it up. Thanks for joining me again, chat. Thank you for being here. You have anything else going on, Dave? Yeah, I've got Rad Rolls, my tabletop RPG
1: podcast where we do actual plays. Right now we're doing a Starfield one shot that's ending mid-October. We're getting close to the finale of that. So if you like Starfield, if you like actual plays, it's a nice little story uh, that's fun and comedic. And um, you can get it everywhere podcasts are heard. It's called Rad Rolls. We've got a YouTube channel you can watch it live. Well, you can watch the recording of it. Um, So go check that out.
2: Awesome. And if you are into other Bethesda games like Fallout, or Elder Scrolls, or you like things like the Lord of the Rings, other shows like other shows, games, content like that, <laughs> words are hard. Uh, I have shows about those. I have some other lore casts about a lot of those topics and they've been going on for a long time. So go check that stuff out. You can find links at robotsradio.net and we will be back next week. Same time, same channel. And thank you for joining us here. And until then, stay safe out there. And if you meet your alternate self, um, maybe think twice before taking their advice.
1: Don't don't go get that lemonade. Whatever you do, don't do it. That's what that's what I'm going to tell myself. Just like something really. You'll
2: be like, what? And then you'll never drink lemonade ever again. Never hear it again. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. See you later, everybody.
1: Listening to the podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this show. Did you know that parodies are copyright protected? Tell a friend and review on iTunes. Or other services.
0: Dave and Tom excited for Starfield. Let's all speculate and wear no shoes.
1: Shoes. because shoes rhymes with iTunes and that's the best i could
0: think of